behind that is the more important thing to look at is what are they responding to? And all the responses are going to be to Jesus and something that he presents about himself. And so as we move through this chapter, um, I mean, John took us the last the other week and this, he, Jesus gives us invitation to come and rest. Who are they being invited to? And chapter 12 is going to give us um, a number of those things. He's going to be re- revealed as the Lord, as a servant, as the truth, as one that's greater than the prophets, as one that's greater than all the kings. And he's going to present himself in all these different ways. And then people are going to be responding to him. And in case I don't say it, uh, it sh- chapter 12 here, this first section, should be a very obvious follow-up to what we saw last week. Jesus gives an invitation to come and rest and then immediately we have this issue, we're going to deal with the Sabbath. And Jesus has very strong things to say because the way it was set up is preventing people from responding to the invitation that Jesus gave. And um, he takes that seriously. Um, so we want to look at, as we work through these things, discovering these encounters, what do we learn about Jesus? And then as we think about who Jesus is, how are we responding to that revelation of himself? Um, I want you to note, before I read the the passage, I want you just to take note of the final verse of our passage for today, which is chapter 12, and it's, um, where am I at here? I'm lost. Um, (laughs) The closing verse, at the very end of this section, you're going to hear this. It's going to say this, the Pharisees went out, and they conspired against him how to destroy him. That's where the passage is going to end today. And as we walk through this section, um, thinking about the fact that this encounter results in the Pharisees pursuing, wanting to see destruction um, against Jesus, uh, almost having murder in their hearts, they become incensed. And we want to look at what does Jesus present about himself that generated that kind of reaction, um, and what do we learn from that? So here I'll read Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to go through the first 14 verses, Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Lord, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. For Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, he ate the bread of the presence, um, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not also read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple actually profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there, and he entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you is a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will it not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored and healthy just like the other. But the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him 
how to destroy him. Lord, we thank you for um, your living word, the revelation that comes straight from the heart of God for us to hear. If these things were put together and passed along for us to be confronted, to hear, to recognize who you are, to hear your invitations to us, to perhaps unsettle our soul a bit and then bring it back into a place that's more aligned with you, and we would ask that you would do that. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher this morning, and can uncover the truths that are here for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the uh, primary issue here, I think it's pretty obvious, is the Sabbath day. Jesus used it in a number of different places. Um, Jesus does things on the Sabbath um, in order to generate some responses, in order to share something. And both of these, uh, this whole passage here revolves around things that happened on the Sabbath day. So before we walk into what's happening here, we need to remember, so what's that about anyways? What's the whole Sabbath thing about, um, which we've talked about here? If you, if you remember from past messages, the word Sabbath means, anybody know? It's to cease. It means to, to cease. And, and just ignore what's going on in the background up there. It means to cease, as in complete cessation. So the Sabbath, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day it says he, he took Sabbath, it means he stopped working. He stopped the creating process. A good thing creation, but Jesus, God stopped, and he made an ending to it. Same thing on the, uh, when the Sabbath law comes along, it's an ending of work. It's, it's, it's a reminder that I'm not going to produce today. I produce all week long. Today I'm not. To remember that God's the one who actually produces. So by not doing something, by not striving, by not working, I can remember that God is still the one who keeps working in the background during that time. It's the climax of creation. Let me read a few verses here. Um, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit. But if you remember, actually, the Genesis 2, when we just said it at the very end, um, that God ends the creation, and then he says he, on the seventh day he made it holy. He set that day apart um, and made it a holy day. Exodus 31 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak also unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep. Um, later on in that same section, he says, For it is a sign between me and you throughout all of your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. A couple things about the Sabbath. One, as we just said, it is the climax of creation. Um, our, the creation of us, I don't believe, is the climax. You can, we can argue about that, the creation of, of uh, the people made in God's image. I believe ultimately the Sabbath became the climax point of creation. And it's when he says it's all done. And here's what it looks like. And it's beautiful. And it's exactly what I meant for it to be. And so it becomes important to God. It's interesting. It says God himself rested on that day. And I have no idea what that means. Exodus 31 tells that on that, the seventh day, it says God ceased from his work. And it says that he was refreshed. So uh, how does God get refreshed um, and I'm not exactly sure what that means, but if God needs refreshment, <laughs> um, I think we do as well. But there's something so unique about it that it even impacts God himself who practices the Sabbath rest. 
Second of all, it's the centerpiece of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 5, when giving the Ten Commandments, we have in the very center of those commandments, the, the commandments about loving God and loving our neighbors. In the middle of that, the biggest section, the part that gets the most attention is the Sabbath. And here we move from a Sabbath principle of, of, of stopping to a ceremonial law that God establishes of Sabbaths. And there were multiple Sabbaths, by the way. There was a Sabbath day, but there was other things that they called Sabbaths. And they had all these different um, regulations within the law to, in order to basically it takes God takes something and says this is really good and everybody says we're not going to do it so God says well I'll help you do it so let's lay out some some details about it I'll tell you how to do it and um, to help us to get along and they still didn't do it by the way I think it's it was the the uh, failure of the Israelite nation to keep the Sabbath you can go through the Old Testament and discover that it was their failure to keep the Sabbath that actually separated the most from God's presence where God removed himself. And then thirdly, as I just read before from Exodus 31, it is the identifying mark of the nation. Other nations didn't do this. Um, and for Israel to have this, it's like the mark of circumcision, the Sabbath identified them as a nation. It, was, it gave them their identity. And so every time they would stop when they were faithful to it, it pointed, every, it, it pointed other people that the centerpiece of our nation is God himself who has said to stop and to wait on him and to make him the centerpiece. And when they did that, it was their identifying mark as a nation. Interesting that God calls it in Exodus 31, he calls the Sabbaths his Sabbaths. Jesus later on is going to say they're for us, but guess who they belong to? They belong to God. He says they're my Sabbaths. They're my days. Um, they don't belong to Israel. They don't belong to us. Um, Sabbath is a space and time, it's a gift in time that belongs to God who then gives it to us as steward. And so we don't have a say in what happens on that day. Um, we don't get to decide what that looks like. God himself is the one who holds it. And because it's his and not ours, he takes it seriously, which is why Jesus has such strong things to say about it. So what's the purpose of the Sabbath? A couple things. This is not all of it, but a few things just by way of remembrance. It's to refresh us like God and to realign us. Remember, because it's every seven days, we move along, we're realigned, we're walking with God, and then we get off track somewhere, right? Somewhere along the line, we are off. Interesting that God even expected that in the garden he established the Sabbath because even in the garden he knew they needed a regular rhythm. It's just the way we are made to bring us back and realign us with who is supposed to be the center of our life. And so the Sabbath comes around as this pattern to realign us again, going, what's the story I'm living underneath? Oh, that's right, it's God's story I'm living underneath. And this is what it looks like. And so God, bring me back in here. Our gathering here every week is part of that. It's to, to help us do that, to be realigned. It reminds us of our need. So for instance, the Israelites, when they had to stop and they couldn't make anything, they had to trust that God would provide for what they needed. They weren't going to get it themselves. And so for us as well, when we stop and let go, and by the way, there's four parts of Sabbath. The first one is ceasing, you stop. The second one is yielding. When, I, when I'm not producing, I've got to trust somebody's going to do it for me. And so I'm yielding to God that he will take care of it. The third part of that is then rest. Only when we've yielded and given it up, as long as I'm carrying the weight, it doesn't feel very restful, right? So I can stop on the Sabbath but carry all of my burdens all day long. There is no rest in that place. 
And God says, so the second one is I yield. I'm going, okay, God, I'm not doing anything. You're going to do it. And when I do that, then I get rest. And by the way, the rest, we don't make the rest. He gives us rest. He does that part. And then the fourth part, um, I think it's called celebration. It's feasting. I think we celebrate the goodness that we have. So its purpose is to remind us of our need. That's not, I can't make these things happen. I, I can't make life work. God's got to do it. I can't carry my burdens. He's got to. So that's the third part. It's to lift our burdens. The heart of the Sabbath is to, to take the burdens away. And we're going to see in this passage, they all got more burdens on the Sabbath is what was happening. To refresh us. And then lastly, it's to give us a foretaste of the kingdom and all of its fullness. Every time we practice the Sabbath rhythms, it's supposed to give us a little taste of what the final rest looks like in God's fulfilled kingdom. The Sabbath law and the Sabbath principles all point ahead to Jesus. And the laws themselves are actually a shadow of the better picture yet to come, which was Jesus when he showed up, which is why he says, if you had known he was here, you know, I'm the one who made this. The rest is actually found in me, not in the things that you're doing. So what had the Sabbath become? By the way, we're going to pick on the Pharisees here. Um, and, and rightly so, but understand, they inherited this stuff. So after all these years and hundreds of years of, of thinking a certain way, and then they get it, they weren't thinking straight. Now, they had a heart issue Jesus addressed, but um, we're picking on these guys, but the generations before had been doing the same thing, so it's a, a shared problem here. But what had become? The Sabbath was the focus for that nation of all their religious activity, but they had been adding so much stuff to it. Sabbath is supposed to take away burdens, and they were so concerned about making it, taking care of it. By the way, God can take care of his own things, right? They were so worried about it, they were adding all these things to it. And instead of being a day of ceasing and a day of rest, it was a day of just stress that they were going to violate some kind of command that God had, had given to them. One writer said there was more work trying to rest than there was work trying to work, which is true. A couple of examples, and you probably heard some of these. They had added a law, it's not, in the, it's not in the Old Testament, that on a Sabbath you could travel 3,000 feet. So I don't know if you got you pull your little iPad with the little steps thing, right, and figure out how many, how many feet you're going. You can go 3,000 feet from your house. Um, unless the day before, what you could do is you could put some food 3,000 feet away. And wherever your food was, that qualified as your house as well. So I could travel 3,000 feet and I'd have my sack lunch sitting there I could have my sack lunch, and I can go another 3,000 feet. So you had to figure that out ahead of time, because that was your home. If there was a narrow street or alley, you could actually put a rope or a wire across from it, and that would create an entrance across the alley, and so that would become part of your house as well. So now you can move from one place to another um, without violating the rule that they made up in the first place. If they were going to make up a rule, why don't you just give them like 10,000 feet, but they didn't. A tailor couldn't carry a needle on the Sabbath because he'd be tempted to sew. Nothing I've ever been tempted to do. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. So, um, a scribe could not carry his pen because he might write. A pupil couldn't carry his books because, God forbid, he might read. You know? How horrible would that? You couldn't light a fire because that was work. Um, which is what Jesus actually refers to later on there. He says, you know what? Every Sabbath, guess who's lighting fires? The priests, because they're offering sacrifices. And it's, God doesn't count it as work, but they couldn't light a fire. 
you couldn't heal somebody unless it was a life or death situation. So here's the deal. You're sick, and you're going, gosh, should I, put, should I give this person some care or not? And the question was, if I don't, will they die before the end of the Sabbath day? If I know for sure, for sure, they're going to die before the end of that day, sundown, then I better do something. It's okay. If I think they might make it to the next day, then I need to leave them alone, or I violated the Sabbath. So I don't I mean, and I'm having things going, well, I was wrong. <laughs> should, have, should have done something. It's foolish. By the way, we do the same kind of stuff. It just doesn't look as bad. We had all sorts of things. We come to God on our, our, our own terms all the time. Um, they just look different than this. It says they added to the law. They ignored the exceptions to law, and they missed the heart of it. Acts 15.10 says that they bind burdens on people that are impossible to bear. And chapter 11 ended with John, as we saw last week, of Jesus saying, I, I want to give you rest. I want to take the burdens from you. I'm going to walk right with you, and I'm going to carry this. And, and come, because I've got good things for you. And the Sabbath had actually become a burden rather than a place to free them. So as we return to our passage here, I want to just walk through these encounters, their responses, the response of Jesus, and then what do we learn from him? And these come pretty quick. So there's two encounters. We have the first one here that the disciples are walking through the uh, fields, and they're picking, picking grains to eat. It's like having uh, potato chips while you're walking along. There's a snack along the way. Um, Deuteronomy 23, uh, verse 25, that section gives uh, talks about that. It's actually... God's economy was set up so people that didn't have something were cared for by everybody. So when you don't have something, I have a field. My field is available for people to walk through. They, they can't take a, a, a thing and kind of harvest all the stuff and take it away, but they can walk through and they could take it and take a grain of hands. They kind of cleared it up like that, let the chaff go, and a little bit of seed that remained they got to eat. And it was a way that God took care of those who didn't have. And so they were doing what they were allowed to do, although... The Pharisees said, you can't do that on the Sabbath because you're working. That's harvesting. Well, it's not harvesting. Harvesting is when you're cutting stuff down and doing that. They're just, they're just doing this, you know, um, that God had actually allowed. It was an Old Testament provision, and it was not harvesting, but they looked at it as though it was, and the Pharisees had made it that. And so they, they respond to what they're doing. The second uh, story here we have, Jesus walking into, interesting, it says into their synagogue, in the sense that Jesus already separated himself from that group because they had made it into something that, where he was not welcome. And he goes in, and there's this man with a withered hand. Interesting, it was not life and death, was it? He's probably had a withered hand his whole life. It could wait till the next day. And Jesus doesn't go because what? This is something, it's a good thing to do. And so he confronts him about, knows what they're going to say, and interesting, it says that they're watching him. And Jesus just tells the man to reach out his hand, and he, and he heals him. So these two encounters, both happening on the Sabbath, both in the context of places that um, violated what they had said, this is how it has to be. And Jesus, in both cases, um, does something different. The, resp- the Pharisees have two responses. Interesting, don't miss this. They, were, they, they didn't just happen to be in the fields when they walked through. They were following them. Um, they, were, they were following, they were watching they're waiting, they're looking. Um, they were so caught up in making sure that their view was protected, they were just set on fearing, where is he going to cross the line? Um, 
You ever get that way? Somebody's done something and they either think differently than you or they've pressed a button uh, with you or they've done something against you and you get so focused on it, it's all you can think about. You're just looking for the next time that they're going to do something. You're just waiting to accuse, waiting to say, I knew it. I knew it. They hold that. And that's what they're doing here. They couldn't see anything else. They just saw what it impacted these certain points. And so they're watching. And they have these two responses. The first one is they accuse. They go, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do in the Sabbath. They, they accuse them of breaking the law, of breaking the law. And there's penalties for that. So they accuse. And then second one, interesting here, that they, they challenge him. Um, when Jesus goes in the next place and he says, here's this man with a withered hand, they're just watching. They don't say anything. They're going, what's he going to do? We're going to say, what's he going to do? Um, just think about the heart behind that. He's going, he heals that hand. We're going to say something. And so they challenge Jesus, and, at, and then their response after he actually does this is it says they went out and conspired together. And it uses this very, very strong word. It's often used of Satan. It says to destroy him. They want, they want to bring him to ruin. Um, Jesus has two responses as well. Interesting, the first one, he does what? He appeals to the scriptures. They say the scriptures are so important, I'll appeal to the scriptures. I'll tell them. What, you know, they say they know the scriptures. Well, do you really know it? Interesting, he says here to me, he says, um, have you not read, which is a little bit of a backdoor way of going, you guys, you're the, you're the leaders of, of the, 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 the Torah, the scriptures. Have you guys even read it? It's kind of a, it's kind of a statement to it, but he says it subtly. And, and by the way, I don't think that, um, and this is just my own thought, I don't think Jesus was so upset that they got it wrong. We get it wrong all the time. I think Jesus was upset because of the hardness of their hearts. They were unwilling to listen. And um, because of that, then, then he gets upset here. They had inherited an, um, a, a corrupt understanding that was easy to embrace, but the real problem here was that they, he was opposed to them because of their proud hearts. And it's a hard issue here. So he appeals to the scriptures. He tells them, says, David did the exact same thing. As a matter of fact, David did something even worse. He actually went in the temple and took the bread of the presence, which if you read about how it's made, it's this big, huge thing that represents Jesus and God's presence. And, and he cut it up and served bread for not only himself, but for all of his, his men. It's completely uh, a clear violation, actually. Not, a, not of a made-up law. That was a law that God actually put in place, and David actually violates it. And yet God commends him. He breaks ceremonial law. And, but Jesus said, you know what, God, when that happened, he took men's needs as more important than whatever law he had put down. God is actually willing to take that law and put it aside because of the need at the time. And they, of course, don't have an explanation. I mean, they, they revered David. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right, he did do that. God didn't say anything. And then he re references next. He says, um, <clears throat> have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane, which is a strong word, the Sabbath, and are guiltless? He's kind of um, being a little sarcastic here because they was set up. The priests would actually be in, in the temple, and they were lighting fires, and they are lifting up heavy animals, and they were doing all that work. You go back in the numbers and read that. Um, doing the sacrifice, and yet, what did God look at that? Well, that was part of the whole process. It wasn't considered work, that was worship. 
And the fact that God actually makes exceptions for these kinds of things shows a, a, a flexibility and something behind the heart of God that he was trying to promote that the Pharisees had missed. So what is Jesus in these responses trying to convey? I think he's trying to convey that the law is not meant to be deprived of our needs. The law was never meant to keep us from having our needs met. And yet that's what they were doing. God cares about our needs. I need food. They're hungry. The law was not meant to prevent serving. They were actually taking godly service that reflected the very heart of God and put it aside for the sake of this law that they had to protect it. It was never meant for that. And lastly, the law was not meant to hinder mercy. Mercy is always something from the heart of God. Interesting, the first ten commandments, as I said, the first commandments have to do with love for God. The second set of commandments have to do with love for our others. And uh, in, the, in the middle we have the Sabbath, which just kind of links it all together. And Jesus says, how's the whole law summed up? All of it? Love God, right? Love your neighbor as yourself? What better day to express that than on the Sabbath, which was at the very heart of those commands? Romans 13, Paul says that the whole, the law is fulfilled with love. He says the love is the fulfilling of the law. And so to honor the Sabbath is to do that. And they had missed that. Jesus wanted to bring him back around to again. The connecting point of loving God and loving our neighbors, and they had removed that from it. So a couple of things that we are revealed about Jesus here um, as they have this confrontation. By the way, this is not the first place this is going to happen. It's going to happen multiple times. It's going to get more. I mean, you think it's intense here. It gets more and more intense. And Jesus begins to push against the things that they had had raised up against God uh, harder and harder as we go along here. So a couple of things. One, first of all, Jesus says to them, tell you something greater than the temple is here if you had known what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is lord of the sabbath strong words so first of all we learned about jesus says he's greater than the temple which um that was their pinnacle (laughs) that was the pinnacle for them the place of god's presence and he actually goes on, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. When he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am the God, I'm the creator of the universe, I'm everything. I'm the one who created it, I'm the one who designed it, I'm the one over it, and you are telling us what we can and can't do? I am the Lord of all these things. Something greater than the temple. Jesus, who we've looked at, when he came to earth, he brought the very presence of God onto this place. So everywhere he went, this intersection between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth gets bridged again. And Jesus, he walks through the very, very temple, the very, containing the holy of holies, the very place where they couldn't go, was walking in their midst. So he says he's greater than the temple. The Lord of the Sabbath, he's God right there. And second of all, he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And the obvious answer, which they didn't give, was yes, it's always a good thing to do those things. And so by saying that, Jesus actually becomes an interpreter of the law and makes him greater than the law. So we have these two things. We have the temple and we have the law, the two things that they worshipped in many ways. And Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple. 
because I'm God himself standing in your midst, and I am the interpreter of the law. The law points to me. It's a shadow of what's standing before you right here in this place. It's just a shadow, and you're missing it. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to say what happens and doesn't happen. It's up to me to say what happens on my most holy day. Righteousness is given by me, it's not earned, which was at the heart of the problem here. And I believe that Jesus makes such an issue here because I believe in the idea of the Sabbath is where we can experience and see the fullest measure of all that God is. It's somehow found in this idea of Sabbath. And when that gets covered and and, and encased by something where we can't get to it anymore, Jesus isn't very happy about that. And he is not going to let that be remain that way. He is going to unbreak that because it was the, the means by which we get to experience his fullness on and on and on. We could, uh, we could argue about this, so I'll, I'll throw this out there. I won't um, declare this to be absolute, but um, interesting, the Sabbath was created before creation. It was part of the creation process, before sin. So we have this Sabbath day. Jesus says, this is, God says, this is holy, set apart. This is something that's to be, that our very, our very fabric of our being functions well when we enter into the Sabbath. Later on, he creates these ceremonial, God creates these ceremonial laws about the Sabbath. All of them are shadows that point to Jesus, point to the rest that we get in him. Jesus comes to earth and he dies. He gives his life for us. He fulfilled all the law, we're told. And so I believe that, the, that all those rules about the Sabbath were all fulfilled in Jesus, we, which is why Paul says, I don't care what day you're doing it. That's not the point here. The point is, are, are, you, are you finding dependence and rest in God? Are you, do you have a rhythm in your life of realignment with him? And so in many ways, Jesus confronts this because the, the, the laws, these ceremonial laws that Jesus is fulfilling, they won't apply anymore. They were just shadows that pointed to him drawing us actually ultimately to be brought back to the original creation of this regular rhythm of, of work and purpose and ministry and refreshment and rest that he's trying to draw them to, which the last week was the invitation to us. And the Pharisees had so corrupted the picture that it had made this, this burden, and because of that, it was keeping them from experiencing the fullness of Christ in their life. And God takes that seriously. The rest that's promised in Hebrews 4 is now available to us in Christ alone. Interesting, the ceremonial Sabbath, other than some examples here, isn't even repeated in the New Testament. But there's lots of invitations to rest, to come, to experience the rest that God has um, for us. So a few thoughts. A little random, but um, bear with me here few thoughts that came to mind, because I felt convicted. Um, when we don't enter into the things he invites us to, we become like them a bit. We have said no to God's best invitations. And we, we cover up so much of our lives with so much stuff that God's going, I'm trying to get in there. You're not letting me in. So number one, Jesus is opposed to the self-sufficient heart. He's gentle, he's merciful, he's gracious, but he's opposed to it. Um, he's opposed to it in those who don't know him. He wants to rescue him from that. He's opposed to, to it in those of us who do know him that decide we can still do things on our own without him. 
And he wants to break through that. And it's painful, but he wants to do it because on their side of that, there's rest and refreshment. And Jesus is also opposed to those who would make God's good gifts a burden. He's opposed to those who would make God's good gifts a burden. And we can do that in little ways, too. Um, we can be orthodoxy and right doctrine, I think, is important. It's valuable. But if that's all we talk about, rather than point, if it doesn't point to Jesus, then we've made it a burden. If it points to Jesus, then we, we, create, this, we create something very good. But he's opposed to those who make God's good gifts a burden. On the positive side, Jesus is for those who would come to them in neediness. We have a man with a withered hand, and Jesus goes, I'm for him. I want to bring life. I want to bring refreshment. I want to bring healing to him. Jesus is for those who would come to him in neediness. And he's for those who would come to him for blessing, refreshment, and rest, who come asking, saying, give me, I want your good gifts. He doesn't send us away with a burden. Rather, he welcomes us in to give us something good. So for me, I was thinking, do I focus more on my good works, my efforts? Do I pay more attention to the details of rules? Some of them are all very good, by the way, rather than Jesus himself. And if we do that, we miss it. We miss what he's offering, and we just get a burden. Do I make room regularly, both not just once a week, but in the course of my day to, to be with him and to hear him, to be realigned? Realignment is not just for Sunday morning. It's like every hour. If we can get a pattern doing that, where he just keeps, keeps us, rather than having to do this major stuff of pulling us back in line. And am I encourage of others, encourager of others to the same? Um, sometimes our, reaction, our responses to each other, our interaction with each other, puts burdens on each other um, rather than inviting each other into those places of rest and refreshment. So do I focus more on my good works and my efforts? Do I pay more attention to details or rules rather than to Jesus himself because he's the focus, which is why we have the table here? And Do I make room to be with and to hear him? And am I an encourager of others to do the same? So last week, John closed this invitation to come. I've got rest for you. Um, then we have to think about if I put some things up in my life that prevent me from hearing that invitation do I have things up in my life that are um, causing me just to not step forward into that, to not taking it are there things as John saying that I'm hanging on to so hard that if, if I, if as long as I hang on to these things I'm never going to get any rest and he calls us to once again um, to let those things go at least if you could bring your team back up Interesting, the call to the table, which interesting, in the New Testament says, whenever you get together, remember me. So we do it on, in our service, and we have the bread and the cup. And I think, you know, one of the most regular things we do is what? We eat, <laughs> right? We eat. There's a reason why Jesus, I think, the getting together every time, every time you sit down for a meal, I think that's, a chance to go, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've given. There's refreshment. There's strength here. There's a fresh invitation, whether that's, you know, six times a day, if some of you guys have different eating patterns, or whether it's like me, once a day, whatever it is, 
whatever your pattern is, I think he made it a meal so that he, we could be reminded over and over and over again. Every single time we come around this table, but I would say even when you gather each day for a meal, it's an invitation. And the invitation is, I have goodness for you. And what have you brought let into your life that's just stealing that away? What's, that's toxic to enjoying the goodness that I've given to you. Um, and he says, just take it. Just take it. It's all yours. It's all yours. So as we sing, we gather around the table, um, and we say thank you. And we ask him to steal away those burdens that whether the people have put them on us or we've created them of our own, um, and go, I want to know the deep abiding rest. I want to say yes to your invitation. Let me pray, and then let's, uh, let's sing. And as we start singing, um, come around and gather the table together.